We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your life inside our lives. Lord, we thank you as you declared that you have come, that we might have life and life more abundantly. And we want to thank you for that abundance of life that we find in our lives. Even though we're amidst a world that is full of pain and loneliness and emptiness, Lord, we thank you that your life inside us is abundant. We thank you that that life inside us is a rich reservoir, a river of living water that refreshes us at every point, in every season of our lives. And Lord, we thank you that our lives can be a great blessing and are a great blessing even beyond people in this place. So, Father, we thank you again today. We honor you. We reverence you. We recognize that all of the blessings that we have, like Lee said, all of the blessings, all of the many blessings that we have in our lives come as a result of you, Jesus. When you found us, we had crashed and burned. When you found us, we were dead in our sins. When you found us, our lives, Lord, were just among the wreckage of life. But, Lord, we thank you that you picked us up. You loved us. You cleaned us off. You lavished your love on us. And we're here today in this place, Lord. Lord, after many years of just praising you and walking with you, Lord, we want to thank you today again from the bottom of our hearts that there is nothing that's been able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why don't you give him a big shout again before you sit down? Come on. He is so worthy of our praise. Church is the place where we praise him. Church is the place where we raise our voice and give him thanks. Come on. Amen. You may be seated. And let's thank our musicians as we always do. Dan leading today. Awesome. And Felipe on keyboards. Let's give these guys. I know Dan and Felipe have played uh, before. And uh, do you know what? It's great to have Noel and Haley, right? An amazing couple. They wouldn't tell you this. They, they tell me not to say this. But amazing couple that invest in other people and want to, you know, it's wonderful to have people in our lives, isn't it, that say, hey, listen, stand on my shoulders. Stand on my shoulders to go further, to go higher than me. And I'm telling you now, Noel and Haley are that type of couple. And um, they, they pour their lives into our young people, raise them up like Dean and Michelle does and Tony and Lara. But they pour their lives into our young people and into uh, young adults too. And it's just great. Do you know what? It's great. And I know the church, I, sometimes we don't mention names because you'd have to go around the whole church. But, you know, it is great to have people who, you know, really exemplify a servant heart. That don't have, you know, this agenda to go anywhere or, or get anywhere or attain this big title. But just have an agenda to do what Jesus has called us to do and serve others. Am, am I embarrassing you enough yet, No. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? Do you know what? What a great example. What a great example. And there's many, many others. Lee came up here this morning. Lee and Claire, another couple. Great examples of people that just love people. Not people who love positions, 
but people who just love people. It's wonderful to have people in our lives like that. So let's not take each other for granted. Let's look around the room and just thank God that He's brought us into this family to be together, to rub shoulders together, and be on the same journey with each other. Amen? Amen. Well, we've been looking um, over the last few weeks that I've been talking from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and we picked up from verse 6 where Paul begins to talk about the glorious grace of God and what it achieves in our lives. Paul was a man that just wasn't interested in theories. I mean, he was an incredible theologian. He was a well-versed man. He was, he was trained in, in all of the law and all of the customs of the Pharisees. I mean, this was a brilliant guy that wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament, an incredible man. But Paul wasn't just interested in theories, Paul wasn't just interested in formulas. Paul wasn't a man that just didn't, you know, just wanted to make great statements. But he was always concerned to show people the practical outworking of the terminology that he used. So when he uses this term, the glorious grace of God, in verse 6 of chapter 1 of the letter of Ephesians, he's, he's not only using this amazing terminology, but, but at his heart, he wants to unpack it and show how this glorious grace works and evidences it itself in our lives. And he goes on to say what this glorious grace does. It says, he says that it makes us accepted in the beloved, that God, as a result of His glorious grace, has made us accepted in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the biggest battles that all of us face is this whole issue of, of acceptance. You know, I grew up in church. I went, to, I went to Sunday school, but I always felt that God was round the corner waiting someday to beat me up. I had this idea that God wanted to get me. I had this idea that, you know, I'd done bad things and I had done bad things. I had this idea, you know, that, that because of all of those bad things that, that I had done and I had been involved in, that God was going to get me. That, that God was, was, you know, like suspicious of me and watching me and, and, and scrutinizing my every move so that some, somewhere, at some place, at some appointed time, he'd be there ready to meet me and the result wouldn't be good. But, you know, this whole area of acceptance and, and, and acceptance with God is something that we battle with as people. You know, when you, when you go into a religious building like a cathedral or, or, a, or what we would term as a church with stained glass windows, you know, Jesus looks so neat and tidy in those stained glass windows. His image looks so pristine. We've dressed Jesus up to be something that he's never been. No, Jesus was always accepting of people. When you read through the Gospels, and we're going to look at this today, Jesus was so accepting of people, notorious people, people that were rejected 
by others, people that had a horrid past, people that were certainly rejected by religious people, it seems that Jesus was gravitated to. He was, he was gravitated to people that had a notorious past, people that were rejected, people that had crashed and burned, people that could offer society nothing. Jesus gravitated towards those people. Now, not only those people, but Jesus on, on many occasions got into trouble with religious folk because they didn't like how he was behaving. They didn't like who he was associating with. They didn't like who he was approving. And they certainly didn't like who he was accepting. And I think on, on lots of occasions when you read the Gospels, I think it was the biggest surprise to the people on the receiving end that Jesus was accepting those because they saw Jesus as this figure that was holy they saw Jesus as this, this figure that, that was anointed by God. And for him to accept them, I think that was a huge surprise. A huge surprise. But you know what? We have to get used to the fact that God has, has accepted us in Christ Jesus. We've got to start accepting that we are accepted because it will revolutionize our lives. And God doesn't require us to change our behavior. God doesn't require us to change our lives in order for us to be accepted. No, acceptance precedes change. God accepts you. He makes you acceptable in the beloved. And as a result of that acceptance, change is automatic. Change is a wonderful outcome of of. Of, of our lives when we begin to understand that we've been accepted by God. It really is. And we're going to see that today. Jesus, you know, he was a radical figure. Completely radical. And some of, the, some of his behavior to religious people was really scandalous. He got himself a real bad reputation because of the people that he associated with. And Jesus sometimes did it on purpose right in front of all of the religious audience that was around him. He did things to challenge their thinking and challenge their ideas and challenge their attitudes. Let me just give you one example before we get into what we're talking about today. One day, four men brought their friend on a stretcher. They couldn't go through the door. Jesus was teaching in a house and all of the religious crowd were there. And these guys want to get into where Jesus is. So they have this idea and they begin to rip the roof off. And then they lower, they lower this man, this sick man down into this religious hornet's nest. But Jesus is right at the center of it all. And they lower him down. And Jesus just moved with compassion. Wanting to demonstrate that this man is accepted by God. Because that's the issue. When these religious men looked at that man, they, they thought, reject reject. He's on that bed as a result of his sin. He's on that bed as a result of his own doing. He's on that bed because he hasn't come up to 
our ideals and he hasn't fulfilled the law to the letter. And he's on that bed as a result of his, of his own misfortune and that cannot be reversed. It's just a matter of fact. It's a result of life. He's just got to live like that. Jesus, looking around the room, reading their hearts, says this, and this is radical, and it's awkward, and it's uncomfortable. And, you know, the, 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 the tremors go round the room when he says it. And sometimes we, we forget how radical and in your face Jesus is. But the Bible says he's still the same yesterday, today. Yes and forever. He's still radical. He's still awesome. He's still wonderful. Listen now, don't dress him up. Don't dress him up to make him presentable to the world. Don't dress him up to make him presentable to your religious ideals. Jesus is radical and he will do things that will blow all of our minds. He really will because he loves this city and this nation. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Naughty Jesus. Naughty you know what you're doing. Jesus, you know what you're doing. You know those religious folk are in that room with you, and you know a bomb is going to go off when you say, son, your sins are forgiven. He can't hold it back. Why? Because he's accepting and connecting with a reject. And, but he's, it's not a reject to Jesus. It's a life that is lost, a life that he wants to save, a life that he wants to heal and release and set into a new future. And my God, they start talking. Have you ever done this kind of stuff? No. I tell you now, sometimes you, you make statements. I've done it. And immediately it gets a disapproval. In people's hearts. Immediately. It gets a disapproval in their attitudes. And you see their eyes change. You see their features change. You see their, their whole body language become stiff and taut. And, and sometimes you can feel intimidated. I, I felt intimidated by that. Sometimes. And sometimes I've, I've been, it's been on the edge of my tongue to say something. And I've held it back because I know it's going to be really disapproved. But what I was going to say was right and true, but I've held it back. Do you know what? Jesus would never hold back. He'd never hold back, man. He just, and you know, he wasn't trying to be nasty. He wasn't trying to, you know, raise a riot. But he wouldn't hold back because the Bible says about Jesus that he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. His grace had to flow. John said this, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son. What was that glory? It's the same glory that Paul was talking about in Ephesians 1. It was God's glorious grace pouring out of every area of Jesus' life as he ministered to a lost world. He couldn't hold it back. Son, your sins are forgiven. The bomb goes off. They start having this inner conversation and dialogue with themselves, these religious folk. And he says, you think the Son of Man, you see, he'll always take you further than where you want to go. He really will. You think the Son of Man 
You think it's wrong for me to, to, to say, son, your sins are forgiven. You think the Son of Man can't forgive sins? I tell you what, I'll go one further then. Take up your bed and walk, son. And he jumps up. The guy jumps up. And immediately you've got a scene. Immediately. You'd, you'd, you'd think everybody would be rejoicing. You'd think everybody would be on their knees. Jesus, you're the Son of God. You are the Son of God. Jesus, you can forgive sins. Jesus, you can, you can reverse any condition that, that sin has caused in, in somebody's life. Your grace is glorious. Your grace pours so freely. Look at the result of it. Look at what it's doing to this man. He's up. He's out of the door. He's on his way. And Jesus is left in the hornet's nest. When you display God's grace, when you display God's love, which is in your heart, church, sometimes not everybody's going to approve of the approval that you give to others. Sometimes people are not going to approve of the approval that we give to others. And I'm telling you now, you're going to have some people come in to our family and they're going to come in on the stretcher of life, bound by sin, bound by their past, held by addictions and held by all of the, the, the world's devices that they cannot release themselves from. And I'm telling you now, in the years to come, we're going to, we're going to see Jesus powerfully forgive sins. We're going to see Jesus command people on, on their stretchers to rise up and walk in newness of life because that is the glory of his grace and he embraces and he accepts and it got him into all kinds of trouble you know can you imagine being on Jesus's team being one of the disciples I'd kind I'd probably be saying oh my god what trouble are we going to get into today where are we going today Peter I mean you know he was in Jerusalem last week and he just caused mayhem by what he said. He walked into that temple. He kicked over tables. He called it a den of thieves. He said, this is my father's house and it shall be called a, a, a house of prayer. I mean, the whole place was in riot. They were having a nice little meeting and, you know, only selling a, a bit of merchandise on the side. And he goes in so passionate and he says, he says these words from the Old Testament. I mean, who does he think he is? Zeal for my father's house consumes me. And he starts kicking the furniture about. And he gets a whip together and he starts, you know, chasing people out of the temple. What kind of man is this? I'd be thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen next? It'd have been exciting, mind. It'd have been exciting. It would have been exciting. Where's he going next? What is he going to do? He's so unpredictable. He's not neat and tidy. He's not neat and tidy. We can't keep this grace confined. It's spilling off the edges of the table. It's going all over the floor. It's up the walls. It's, oh, it's covering the house. It's going out of the house. This grace, John said, profusely poured out of him and we beheld it at every level. We beheld it in the lowest moments of life. We beheld it on every strata of societies. It poured out of him and brought a revolution. In life, where are we going? 
What's he going to do? The other day, we're just walking home back from a crusade, and suddenly he gets this impulsion, let's go through Samaria. I must, he said, I must, I, and this is what Jesus said, I actually need to go through Samaria. I have a need to be fulfilled within myself. He said, do you remember when he went through Samaria? We ended up by a well, and he's talking to that woman, that notorious woman that's got a terrible past. She's been with five men. She's had five husbands, and the one that she was with, she was shacking up with. She wasn't even married to him, and Jesus is sat down, not talking about the sin, not talking about the scandal, just having a chat about water. I mean, surely you would have thought that he would have brought correction. I mean, if we could have said, look, Jesus confronted her, Jesus rebuked her, Jesus gave her all these preconditions and promises that he would require her to follow and fulfill in order to be a respectable person, but none of it. It's disgusting. It's scandalous. I mean, what kind of religious figure is this? I'll tell you what kind of religious figure it is. The Son of God, the Savior of our world, that is buried beneath a pile of sin, and He comes into human wreckage, and He sees it everywhere, and He doesn't come with a judgmental finger. He comes with arms open wide, with a heart bursting with love, and having all of the necessary means within Himself, the glorious grace of God flowing through Him. He doesn't hold back. He pours it and lavishly pours it on the undeserved. That's what He does. That's who he is. That's why they hated him. The religious figures needed him more than anybody else. But they were so tight and stiff and starch and law-bound. They couldn't even receive it. And Jesus accepts this woman that everybody had rejected. And as a result of that acceptance at that well that day... She makes the change. She makes the change. Jesus doesn't come in there and say, do this, do that, do this, do that. No, she makes the change. Suddenly, she has living water within herself and she goes into the town. She tells everybody about the man that she'd met, her Savior, and all of them come out to see him. And before you know it, this woman that had been rejected, that had been accepted by Christ, becomes... The means and the bridge for change in a whole community. Who knows who you're going to meet tomorrow? That you know they may be accepted, they may be rejected, they may be on the fringe of society, and it's going to be your life that's going to be a bridge for them to come into Christ. You're not going to lay out a load of rules. They're not. They're powerless to fulfill them, just like you. No, you're going you're gonna to show them the glory of God's grace. You're going to invite them to trust on Christ who's finished all of the work necessary for their lives to be accepted in the beloved, in Him. And then they'll see that glory. Who knows who you're going to see? It could be one person at the end of your obedience, at the end of your encounter with them that could be the next evangelist that could shake this land. 
It could be your obedience that could hold a marriage together and give a husband or a wife a new resolve to commit their lives to Christ. It could be your obedience to walk into a situation that nobody else approves of and nobody else wants to be involved in. It could be your obedience just like Jesus walked into many, many situations that nobody would even go near. It could be your obedience just like Christ's obedience that could make the unclean clean, that could make the tormented peaceful, could make the impoverished within rich. Oh, let's be aware. Let's be led by this wonderful, glorious grace that we have received and that we have benefited by. Jesus, Jesus was really unpredictable and still is. He still is. So we're going to read in a moment from Luke chapter 19. And um, on this particular day, Jesus is in Jericho. Now, I'm sure that was a huge relief to the disciples that he was in Jericho because not really much happens in Jericho. You know, you're not really going to cause a, a, any kind of scandal in Jericho. You can't misbehave in Jericho. It's not the capital. It's not Jerusalem. You can't really step out of line religiously in Jericho. But in true Jesus style, he never disappoints. There's always a scandal to be made. Not because he's scandalous, but because he's gracious and loving and he believes in people and he wants to reach the lost. So let's look how the day unfolds when Jesus drops into Jericho with his disciples. We'll read from verse 1 through to verse 10. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was a short for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, oh my gosh, here we go, Jesus. Wrong name to come off your lips, Jesus. Wrong name. Zacchaeus, make haste. Be quick, come on down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, the they is the multitudes of people around Jesus. The they is the many, many thousands of people that were following him, that were pressing him. That were, that, that, that were wanting to be with him. When they saw it, they all complained, saying, he's gone to be the guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, 
I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because, also, because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Again, you've got a situation that's really awkward. Again, you've got a situation that's very public that would have been better off done private. You know, if Jesus was playing by religious rules, if Jesus just wanted to curry favor with the multitude, if Jesus just wanted to curry favor with the crowd, Jesus would have set up a meeting privately with old Zach. But no, no, grace is a display. Grace is glorious. Grace is public. Jesus is never ashamed of the people that he's reaching towards. Jesus is never ashamed of the people that he's trying to save and trying to reach. It doesn't matter what the scandal is caused. It doesn't matter what the critics say. It doesn't matter what the pressure is around him. Jesus never simply plays up to the crowd. He sees this man in need. He says, come on, Zacchaeus, in front of everybody. Did Jesus know what he was doing? Did Jesus know that everybody was going to complain? Did Jesus know that such a public demonstration of acceptance and love and approval would cause problems? He knew. He knew full well. But he would not allow the pressure of the crowd to limit his grace, to confine his love. So he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Now, you know, when you, you read writers' comment on this passage of Scripture, they begin to tell you that in that time, the religious people had two categories of sinners. The first category, you know, was your typical sinner, and there was no hope for them. The next category below your, your typical sinner was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was even below the tax collector because he was a chief tax collector. He was hated by the Jews because he extracted more tax than he should have. He was a dishonest man. He was a crook. He ripped people off. I mean, everybody in Jericho knew him, and around the vicinity, everybody knew of Zacchaeus as being a rip-off merchant. He extracted more taxes than he should have. He was a very wealthy man. The Bible says he was rich. He'd earned his riches off the back of other people. But not only was he hated by the Jews, he was also hated by the Romans. Even though he extracted tax for the Romans, the Romans hated him because he was a Jew. So this man was alone. This man had money. This man had riches. But he didn't have anybody that believed in him, reached out to him. He was a reject until Jesus accepts him 
He accepts him. And, you know, we don't know what time Jesus had in his home. We don't know exactly what Jesus said. But, you know, at the end of this encounter with Jesus, this transformation in Zacchaeus. Jesus doesn't go in there saying, Zacchaeus, before I come to your house, you need to make a few promises to me. All of the people that you've ripped off, all of the people that you've extorted and taken more money from than you should have and kept it in your own bank account, all of those people, I'm saying here now publicly, before everybody, you've got to give fourfold back to. Well, he would have won the crowd if he'd have done that if he'd have set out those conditions, but no, no, he just embraces Zacchaeus as as he is. He embraces Zacchaeus, goes to his house, and just generally talks to him, accepting him, and suddenly, suddenly this acceptance that Jesus gave to Zacchaeus resulted in salvation and resulted in something practical and demonstrable happening as a result of it. Zacchaeus, this rip-off merchant, this man that has taken everybody for a ride, says this to Jesus, listen to it. Then Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord... When he climbed his little tree, the Bible tells us that he'd wanted to see who Jesus was. But when Jesus went into his home and loved him unconditionally and graciously sat with him and accepted him, by the end of that meeting, for however long it was, he was calling him Lord. Now there was a new direction in his life. You see, the grace of God doesn't put any demand on you, but it doesn't empower you to continue in your sin either. The grace of God changes us. The grace of God opens our hearts to a whole new avenue of living. And it enables us and empowers us to change and to live in the way that God wants us to live. Suddenly, Zacchaeus has got it. He says this, Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Now, this was a man that built his life on stealing and robbing and extorting and getting what he could from others as he lived. This was a man that was notorious in his community. And now suddenly, he, he sees Jesus as Lord of his life. He becomes the recipient of amazing grace. At the disapproval of the crowd around him, but privately now, having been publicly accepted by Jesus, privately now, he receives him as Lord, and now there's a new way of living. And it's not coming as a result of, say, of Jesus saying, you must do this, you must do that, you must follow my... No, it's a natural outflow of his heart. Glorious grace, accepted by God, now... I'm empowered to change and live this new life that I've been given. I'll give half of my goods to the poor, he says. 
And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, listen, I will restore fourfold. Jesus met one man in Jericho, and that one man, as a result of meeting Jesus, transformed a community. Transformed a community. Suddenly the gospel is visible. Suddenly the gospel is tangible. Suddenly the gospel is working and impacting lives that, that, that were around this man that he'd extorted. Suddenly now Zacchaeus becomes not this man that everybody wants to cast aside and everybody wants to put on the fringe. Suddenly now, from his own actions, Zacchaeus is now returning to his rightful place in the center of the community and being a blessing because that's what grace does. Grace enables you and I to live differently. It doesn't empower us to keep on doing what we've done in the past. No, it sets us free from the past and it enables us to do what we've never done before. A whole community changes as a result of what Jesus did in this man's life. I wonder today, I'm going to ask the musicians to come, I wonder today, Who's at the end of your obedience? What person might you meet? It may not be next week. It may be in a few months' time. What person is at the end of your obedience that you're going to touch, that you're going to reach? The grace of God moving through you is going to find them where they are. But as a result of that grace, that word, that kind act... They're not going to stay where they are. That man that was on the stretcher that grace and forgiveness reached out to and rose up, he walked out of that place a free man. The grace of God was tangible and evident by the actions that that man could take. He no longer had to lay on that bed because of a past that he couldn't rid himself of. Grace will set you free. That's the glory of God's grace. Are you limited today? Are you bound today? Are you held back today by, by fear and sin? Well, the grace of God doesn't want to make you religious. It wants to set you free and liberate you. That woman that, that was so ashamed of her life that she had to collect water in the noonday sun when nobody else went to that well. Grace liberated her, not by trying to correct her and, and confront her and rebuke her. No, love and acceptance and embrace and just talking about some water from the well and using that simple conversation to say, hey, listen, I've got, I can give you a drink whereby you'll never thirst again. And suddenly grace touches her at her point of need. She goes into a city. You see, grace always has an outworking Grace has an outworking in our lives, a practical outcome. And she changes. I don't think that's Guns N' Roses, is it? 
We had Guns N' Roses this week, last week. I don't know what that one. I think that's a message from an alien. But you know what? Grace always has a practical outworking. Life changed. A man running out of, a, out, of a, out of tombs, naked, breaking chains, a madman. Grace meets him at the shore, sets him free from all of that demonic hold. And what happens? It doesn't, you know, empower him to continue in his wrong. It empowers him to go through five cities telling of the great news of the transformation that Jesus has done in his life. And as a result, he can go home and have a peaceful life with his kids. Grace has a practical outworking and grace has a practical, tangible outworking in our lives too. I wonder who we're going to meet. Let's be expectant because this grace, like it wanted to just display itself out of Jesus continually, it wants to display itself out of our lives too. As we go into this next week, Let's be aware. It could be a friend in school, in university, in our workplace, in our family, that this grace wants to reach. And don't put up all of those preconditions. Don't put up all of those promises. They won't be able to fulfill them. Just lavish grace upon them. Just be at their side. Just help them through. Just support them. And I'm telling you now, before you know it, just by accepting people as God accepts us, there will be change. There really will. Let's close our eyes a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. You've never prayed a prayer asking Him to be your Savior. Well, many of us in this room has done that. Many of us in this room, we were like you and we were at a point in our lives where we didn't really know if if we had Jesus in our heart, but we prayed a prayer, oh God, help us. And you know, Jesus came into our lives, the Prince of Peace, and He filled that hole in our hearts. Today, you may be here and you say, Dave, there's a hole in my heart. Just like Zacchaeus, I'm running after all the wrong things and my life's in chaos. Or like that woman looking for fulfillment in relationship after relationship and you're just left alone and in pain. Or like that paralytic man on that stretcher before Jesus, paralyzed because of a life of the past that had taken hold of him that he couldn't rid himself from. You know, we can fit, all of us can fit in somewhere to these stories that we've shared today. Because every single one of us in this room has had a huge failure at some point in our lives. There's not one of us that hasn't had something that has collided with us or hit us or a head-on with life that's brought us to our knees. We've all been at that place, that point of need in life where we feel just completely alone. But you know what? Whilst that can be the worst place of life, it can also be the best place of life. Because at that point, that's where Jesus can call your name like he did Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was at the worst place of his life, hiding up a tree. I mean, you can't get much worse than that. To get a look at Jesus. 
But Jesus wouldn't leave him alone and in a solitary place. He called him down and he's calling you today. He's calling you today to himself. He's calling your name. You can hear him calling in your heart. I'm saying to you, respond today. Say yes to Jesus. I hear you calling. Take the step. Don't be embarrassed about Jesus. He's not embarrassed about you. You know, Zacchaeus could have walked the other way when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. He could have said, I don't like your reputation. I don't like who you are. I don't want to be associated with you. But Zacchaeus ran to him. Zacchaeus took him in his home. And that's when change occurred. And today, you're here. Right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer with me. To ask Jesus into your heart. Just say this. Quietly in your heart, repeat it. It'll just help you. Quietly pray this. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart today. Forgive me of my sin. Save me. Live inside me. Be my Lord. I believe. Amen. Now- 